Hey guys, how's it going? Corndog here. Um, welcome to episode three of the Desert Dirt Biker. Um, I'm Corndog, here with my good buddy Eric, my co-host. Uh, how you doing today, Eric? Doing good, man. Um, welcome to the Desert Dirt Biker, guys. We're super excited to be recording episode three. Um, things are going well, things are coming into play, and uh, we got some great guests coming up. So, uh, hope you're enjoying the show. Yeah, give us a listen. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for those of you that have listened. Exciting, exciting. want to give a shout out to my friends Austin Bott and Dustin Vasquez. <laughs> I get a, uh, a uh, Snapchat from them. They took a picture of their car radios as they're driving down the road, or, or I think one of them was cleaning house or something, and they, they were listening to us. And it was pretty cool. They took a picture of the, uh, the, uh, their radio or whatever that, that showed us on the station. Cool. So thanks, guys, and thanks to everybody out there. Um, it's awesome. Um, if you guys have any comments, throw us an email at um, the dirt. Oh, I'm sorry. The Desert Dirt Biker at gmail.com. Uh, questions, comments, ideas, just want to shout out, whatever you got, give us an email. What else do we got, Eric? Um, excited to announce that we did start an Instagram and a Facebook page. Our Facebook is KD Eric, so look us up there, or Instagram. And if you guys see our post of our podcast and you like it, even if you don't like it, comment on it, share the heck out of it. Get us out there. We're talking about the, the dirt biker. Um, our opinion that um, the dirt biker is overlooked a lot. The desert dirt biker. We talk a lot about Supercross, which we're fans of Supercross. Love it. Motocross. Uh, we're kind of bummed that there's no races going on right now. But, uh, yeah, give us a shout. Give us a share. Yep. <clears throat> uh, Corndog had a great idea to bring the desert dirt biker to light and give some more um, publicity and, and discussion format for the Desert Dirt Biker. So here we are. Give us a call. Um, leave us a voicemail on our app, and we'll play it on one of the future shows. Um, our Instagram is the Desert Dirt Biker, so check that out. Leave us a comment. We'll read those during the show. Uh, looking forward to, to hearing what you guys have to say and hearing some of your input. Um, so we're going to lead into the show here with our tip of the show. Hey, one quick question or quick comment, Eric. We just got confirmation of our next week's guest and stay tuned. Keep listening to us and we'll announce who that is. You guys are going to be blown away. We are excited. Yeah, absolutely. We have a great guest coming up and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think you guys are going to like it. Great guest tonight too. Uh, Joe Amy will be with us here in a bit after our break, but next week's also. Stay tuned to find out who that is, and stay tuned to hear the life and times of Joe Amy. All right, guys, for the tip of the show, we're going to talk about head safety. So we're going to talk about some helmets. Um, <laughs> my experience with helmets, um, I've, I started riding a long time ago, and... Um, I've started from, I've worn anything from cheap helmets to intermediate 
grade helmets to a high, high performance helmet. Um, I've had a couple of concussions and, uh, <laughs> most of those happened in, you know, a, a cheap lower end helmet. So as you start to increase your, um, your riding ability and you start to challenge yourself, make sure you have a good helmet. Okay. I mean, it's cheaper than the doctor bills. I can promise you that. <laughs> um, but there's nothing, there's nothing more important in my opinion than a good high, high quality helmet. Absolutely. So, um, a couple options. I mean, there's several options out there, you know, just do your research, check, check those out. But, uh, there's some new technology that's come out that's changed the game on helmet technology. Um, and and 6D kind of led the way with that with multi-directional um, deflection and their suspension system in the helmet. Um, the 6Ds are a great helmet. Um, I've I've worn those for the last couple of years, and was very impressed with my 6D. Um, I've I've crashed multiple times in my 6D helmets, and uh, I will ver verify and confirm that those are. A super high quality helmet. Um, been over the bars at 60, 50, 60 miles an hour and landed straight on my head. Um, I've, I've gotten high sided and slammed, slammed my head in those helmets. So I've had some hard crashes and, and those are a good helmet, folks. Um, so that's one good option. And I'm not saying that's the only good option out there, but um, recently uh, Fly Racing has come out with their new helmet with the Rion technology. This helmet is awesome, guys. Um, it's a 12K carbon fiber shell. Um, it's super lightweight, has great ventilation. Like I said, it's got the Rion technology, which is similar to 6D's um, multi-directional uh, technology, but it's it's its own, it's its own deal. But, um, Great impact management system that they've got in that helmet. And one of the first things I noticed between the 6D and the Fly Racing helmet was the weight. Immediately when I put on the Fly helmet, it's so much lighter. Um, and at first, that kind of made me question, well, is it is it as good, right? I mean, this it's, it's a lot lighter helmet. Does, does that mean it's not as good? Does that mean it doesn't have the protection that maybe the 6D had? Um, but, uh, I'll tell you, I crashed hard in the Parker 250, um, went over the bars, hit a big rock, landed in a rock pile head first. Um, mm. I, I did get hurt a little bit, but my head was fine. I mean, I never, not even as so much as a ring the bell and it put a two inch crack in that shell. Um, so I can justify and, and again, testify that that helmet is top quality helmet. Um, disclaimer, I am sponsored by fly racing, but, um, when it comes to my head, I will only wear the best and, uh, you got anyway, to. yeah, the fly helmet is amazing folks. Check it out. Um, if you're looking for a good helmet, this is a premium helmet. So there's the tip of the show, uh, protect your head and, uh, keep it, keep it upright. Awesome. Awesome. I also am wearing the new fly helmet and I was in a 6D before. So 
almost like we're going down the same paths. And in the past, I have hit my head. I've busted a helmet open a few times. I've been unconscious. I've taken an ambulance ride. So they told me. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, a few of those. Anyways, uh, protecting your head is crucial. And I believe if I was wearing a lower end helmet, may not be here today. Or be here and all jingled and jungled up inside. So, big shout out to a proper helmet and safety first. Um, yeah, awesome. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And then as soon as we come back, we'll introduce our guest for the night. All right. All right. All right. Corn Dog and Eric coming back at you. We are happy to announce our first guest of our episodes that we're doing, the Desert Dirt Biker. Um, brought to you, friend of ours, Joe Amy. Uh, how you doing, Joe? I'm well. How are you? Good. Um, so Joe is vice president of Moran. And he's also the president of the Gamblers out of Las Vegas. So we're excited to have him here. We've known him a long time. A lot of background racing, Moran, Baja, uh, and hopefully find out what else he's, what what makes Joe Amy tick, what what inspires Joe. So um, Joe, let's uh, start off by telling us who you are and go from there. Uh, okay. Um, Joe Amy, born and raised Las Vegas. Um, you know, Nevada kid, battle born. I love this state big time. Um, always been around. Uh, I started racing when I was probably about 14. My first race ever was Moran Caliani on somebody else's dirt bike. And, um, what year was that? Oh my God. I must've been 13 or 14 years old. Um, I was a kid. I was very young. So what are we talking? 35 years ago. Wow. Um, but uh, I actually finished the race, surprisingly. I had to push it to the end. Water kicked my butt in the creek. We got to start around Rose Park there. Uh, and I've been on and off in Moran ever since. I, I was in the Jackrabbits. Once I started getting a few races under my belt, got my own bike, I, I became a Jackrabbit for a little bit. Um, same time frame, Danny Hamill was a jackrabbit, so I got to do some rides with him and be around that guy. He was an inspiration. That's great. Um, that's, yeah, that's awesome. I watched a Danny Hamill video the, the other night and uh, brought back memories of watching him as yeah. a kid. Oh, he was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. And he was as nice of a guy as he was fast. He that's was, awesome. He was it, it seems like everybody say it, yeah. says that. Yep. Yeah. We actually pitted with him in Caliani one year. I wasn't racing yet, but my brother raced and I did the pit, so... Pretty cool. Yeah. I never pitted the guy, but I got to ride around with him. It was pretty cool. Yeah, but um, and then um, you know, took a little bit of a break, came back. I had a buddy of mine, Greg Ashley. I was a neighbor with him, and he said, "Hey, come be a wild buncher." So I went, got into the wild bunch, and um, hung out with people like Dave Wilson, and and just really inspirational people to be out riding around with, and marking course, and seeing what it took to do races. Red Ogden. And um, I learned a lot about being around the races, not just as a racer, but as a guy who puts them on, you know. And um, I remember Rhett was the president of Wild Bunch, gave him my first job. To, he asked me to put on a night race out of Pabco Road. And I was like, this is cool stuff. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I almost had more fun putting on the race uh, 
doing the riders meeting, dropping the flag, telling people where to go, how to get there, um, so on and so forth. Um, wait, doing the checkered flag, high fives. Um, it was just great, you know, at the end of the night when everybody was safe and sound back in the pits. And, and from then on, I've been really enjoying putting on races and doing everything I can. Um, of course, I took... Uh, I've I've left the wild bunch and went on um, went over to the gamblers because they were you know looking at failing and they were gonna just pull out of being a club and I thought uh, wild bunch is a pretty large club so maybe we should you know help that club out keep them rolling that way Moran still had a bunch of clubs uh, the same group of clubs and uh, so I went over to the gamblers and just just to stay in it you know I love it. Wild Bunch is still a great club. I miss my my compadres over there. Still ride with a bunch of them, but um, you know I'm here now in Gamblers, and and I love putting races on. I just it's one of my favorite things to do. I just love being around it. Yeah, that's awesome of you to to jump over and take on that challenge of of keeping it going with the Jackrabbits. That, that was a hard choice to make. Yeah, that was yeah, a very hard choice. So, and you're not the first cool. one that's done that. No, I'm not. And you probably won't be the last. I will not be. But it's all about the love of keeping the sport going. Without these other clubs, right. our races deteriorate. Right. And we're not... Um, well, I mean, your own club member, Roy, done the same thing. Exactly. He went over to Jackrabbits now, and hopefully that club will get infused and get some more races put on. They haven't had a, a race in a year or two, and so hopefully they'll be good. Right. You know, Dave Heath came in and, and helped out SNDR, got them going... Back right. to putting a couple races on because mm-hmm. Bill O'Hare had had enough and needed a break. So right. it happens, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It, it's And that's going to be another show uh, we've talked about what it takes to put on a desert race. Oh. And so it's a long list. It, it is. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's amazing Thick what skin. it does take yes. and what you do behind doors. The average person that's in the club or that goes to a race has no idea what we do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the average racers don't, they don't have an idea. And I know once they get themselves into it and they start doing it, they're like, okay, this is kind of cool. It's a lot of fun. You get to interact with a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. But I get a lot of opinions from people who have never put a race on and have never been in that, <laughs> that predicament of signing a million dollar uh, insurance waiver and, and having their name on a permit that the BLM can come after you for. And they're, they're trying to give you all their grandiose ideas. And you're like, well, slow down a little bit. You got to. You got to take it one step at a time, and it's all volunteer. It, this yes. is all out of our pocket, yeah. out of our our time. And we do it. Yeah. I do it for the love of the sport. Yes, and I'm me sure, too. Sure, absolutely. You guys are the same. Yeah, I, I love I love Moran. I, I love that it's um, it is part of who I am. I mean, you if I don't go to a few races, I feel like okay, I need to go see my friends, the the people I'm around, the people I want to be around. Um, I've raised both of my children through Moran, and they're both better young men because of what what they learned in Moran from all the good people, the people I've you know already named, and I, and there's that's just a dent of the people that I know that have that are great around Moran. Absolutely, and it's crazy because Eric and I both came up in Moran too, although you guys started at a younger age. I think I was in my. 20s or 30s whatever it is but yeah it's 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 a whole other lifestyle yeah. and it's a good influence i i would give every weekend i had to have my kids around 
all you desert racers. Yeah, I agree. Yep. I totally yep. agree. Yeah. Well, that's yep. why I'm sitting here today. You know, yeah. two good people asked me to come up here, and I, with a smile on my face, I was like, this sounds great. I'm excited. So. Well, we appreciate yeah, it, and honored awesome. to have you here as our first guest. So <laughs> I feel very uh, fortunate to be that guy. The first guy. And I know your next guest, and he's a great dude, too. And So that's great company to keep right there. I won't spill the beans yet. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Announcement yeah. coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was going to ask you what you did before dirt bikes, but you were a young kid. Yeah. It was... So... As a hobby, I mean, I played football when I was a kid. I'm okay. kind of a, you know, a husky dude. So I was a great offensive lineman until I found my motorcycles, and then that was it. I, I stopped playing all sports, and anything I ever did was revolve around riding dirt bikes. Whether it was mountain biking, uh, hiking, of course, those are just hobbies. I never did anything like that for competition. It's always just been dirt bikes. Yeah. So through the years of racing. Um, who has been your biggest influence on a dirt bike? Oh, I, I couldn't pick one. There's no way I could pick one. I mean, I talked about Danny Hamill a little earlier. Um, I got to be around him when I was in my early 20s. Went to a couple of his schools, of course, being in the same club. I got to ride with the guy. Um, he just watching what he could do on a bike as a big guy. You know, you'd see his legs and his calves were huge because he always rode on his toes. And, of course, most of us, when we learn how to ride, we don't have somebody to tell us different. We, we put that arch of our mm-hmm. foot on the peg. And, <laughs> and just watching him do that, I, for 30 years I've been trying to do that, and I still have a hard time. I ruined my boots in the arches because my feet always just slip back. But as an influence, <laughs> Danny Hamill, of course, is, was a big one watching him ride like that. Um, one of my best friends, like a brother to me, uh, Brad Loveday, he, he really showed me how to smooth things out. I was... I was always a big, strong guy, so I would push my bike around. I'd want to get into a corner, and I'd shove the bike down to get it in the corner. And he showed me how to use my brakes to get me into the corner and flow out of it. A guy named Mark Morris, I don't even know if people remember that guy's name anymore, but um, dude, he showed me how to do some hills. Changed my life. I actually, after I talked to Mark Morris about doing hills... Um, I, my riding got better and faster and it was basic, it was basic stuff. It was very simple, you know, get your butt off the seat most of the time, you know, (laughs) and going up the hill, look to the top of the hill and twist your throttle, let your bike do the work. Um, so Brad and Mark and Danny, um, being around David Wilson, uh, from Wild Bunch, that guy, I, I mean, if anybody's got the pleasure to ride with Dave Wilson, whether it's out at Apex um, up in Del Mar, uh, out in Gene. I mean, I, I've been all over the place with that guy, and he is huge influence. Consistency, never slowed, never stopped, just keep going. Just keep, I mean, he was my dory. Just keep swimming, you know. Just keep riding that bike, man. Don't stop, just keep going. Um, so Dave Wilson is definitely on the top of that list. Um Nowadays, it's really cool to watch my kid. You know, I got a 16-year-old boy that rides, and I could say I taught him, but, I, you know, I taught him the ins and outs, you know, head up and stop looking at your fender, heels down, toes up, you know, all the fundamentals that the pros want to show you. And, but but just riding behind him, as long as I can say behind him, it's neat watching the kid just flow on the dirt bike. 
because I've never really been able to flow like that, which has been nice. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah. So I guess those are the some of the top guys that, that you know, I think about when I'm riding, I, I hear their voice and, what are you doing? Or stand up, get your butt off the seat. Or, you know, if, you, if anybody ever watched clips of Danny Hamill ride a bike, the guy never sat down. He was always, if he was close to his seat, he wasn't on it, or he was standing straight up. Elbows out, you know, heels down, toes up. Just great posture on the bike. It was beautiful to watch. Hmm. Very so, cool. What has your, what has been your favorite race through the years? Oh, man. It's, I, it would probably have to be my first Baja race. I mean, I, because most of us that live here in the Nevada desert, I mean, even, yeah, I mean, you, you said it last week, the same thing. Yep. Um, the first time I got a chance to race the Baja 1000, um, my fiance Farah, she, uh, you know, her brother had a team going. And, and the brother called me up one day and said, hey, aren't you 40? Because we just lost an over 40 rider and we need you in La Paz. And I was like, okay, let's go. So I flew, I fly down there by myself with my gear bag, um, ready to go. A couple of guys I don't even know pick me up, throw me in the back of the pickup truck and back seat, you know, because it's a four-seater. But um, get me out to my spot, and every day we pre-ran, and, and I got to ride on somebody else's bike, which is a KTM 450, great bike, by the way. I know everybody <laughs> sees me on Hondas, but I do like the KTMs too. Um, but I got to pre-run for a whole week, help out the team, be ready to go. Uh, a different KTM showed up race day, of course, cause I was at the bottom of the peninsula. It was one of the, um, peninsula run Baja 1000s. Mm. And, um, I got on the bike just North of Loreto, uh, which is probably about two thirds of the way down. Um, I went up and over the mountains. So I crossed the peninsula from the Sea Cortez side over to the Pacific side, rode down the coast, 100 miles or so, came back inland, probably 30 or 40 miles, and then handed the bike off. So um, when I originally got asked to be on a team, they said, we want you to do about 80 miles. Uh, when I got out there and all of my Moran experience and all the guys that I carry in my head uh, talking to me, I got the stuff done faster than they expected. So they slowly increased my mileage for the race and um so when i got there they wanted me to do 80 by the time race day uh got there i did 220 uh, i felt like i really added to the team i had a lot of fun um the funniest part of all that was i didn't meet anybody on that team except for the guy that rode after me so the three guys that preceded me that race day i didn't even know them um, <laughs> but by the end of the race when we were all standing on the podium because we had gotten second place um, they were my brothers, you know, these were guys I, I, I'll always know from, and I still, you know, I, I got to race with one of them down at the 1000 last year, you know, we, we ended up being on the same bikes at the same time in the same section and, and we got to ride together. It was cool. Um, but that race has to be like the number one memory. I mean, all of us Nevada guys and desert riders, we all probably have that on our bucket list. Got to do a Baja race. Once in our life, we got. I wish somebody would take me to Baja. Yeah, well, I've never, never been. You're sitting with two Baja riders. <laughs> right? Now you got to go. Now you don't have an excuse. Yeah, you I know. <laughs> I know Baja was, you know, my childhood dream, and and yeah. same when I when I made it down there finally for my first time. Um, I mean, it was just it was just awesome. Yeah. The whole experience, not just the not just the race, but the whole experience of pre running and and 
overcoming obstacles and challenges. Right. And like you said, uh, you know, a lot of the Moran stuff, I feel like it preps you well for that terrain down there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I've talked to a lot of, you know, some of the Moran guys that go down and, and have been down there and, and they tit they tend to do well. Like yeah. the Moran guys tend to do yep. well down there. Yep. And you so there's ve- places in Vegas. I'll give you a couple spots. Like Gene. If I want to practice San Felipe Whoops, I'm gonna to go to Gene. Right. Because there's Sandy, right. San Felipe Whoops out there. They're not quite as big, nor as long, but they're similar. You know, they're right. sandy, they're big, they're deep, they're long. They took forever to get over. Um, and then if I want to ride some of the rocky stuff that's down around uh, Ensenada or something, you know, you could come up here, Hell's Half Acre. Uh, up around this area has got a lot of the same stuff, you know, soft dirt, some silty um, <coughs> silty pockets with just big round rocks that you can roll. Yeah. Um, so there's all, all sorts of sections in Nevada that you can ride that are going to look just like a Baja section. Yeah. You know, the silt beds of Panaca. Are, are ridiculous um yeah and i remember i'll never forget this i had been I, i've done six races down in Baja, and i think it was a year year and a half ago i raced a sstb race i'm like oh mass start this will be a lot of fun and i took off and i didn't get a good start I had an awful start got going around <clears throat> got nailed off the bike had a bit of a crash so i just kind of slowed down and had a day but i got into the silt beds coming back into the the start area finish line. I was like, man, these suck. I thought Baja would have prepared me for Panaca, but it didn't, man. So, yeah, I don't care what yeah. you do in Nevada. There's always a section that says it's screaming Baja or yeah. vice versa. There's always a section of Baja that's screaming Nevada. Just you can't you can't match it, man. But there's nothing quite like the atmosphere of being down there, huh? I agree. No, I totally agree. I mean, you could pull up to a farm and stop and you'll have three people come out and it could be one kid asking you for stickers and somebody telling you i got some food if you're hungry and another one offering you a beer or hey you need yeah. some gas always always wanting to take care of you yeah they right? always want to take it's, care of you down yeah, there i mean that's the, there's a lot of really bad stories in the media and a part of me is happy that they're there because it keeps the undesirables out yeah. because when you go down there you feel you feel a sense of family. If you're on a dirt bike, if you're on a quad, if you're in a side-by-side, if you're in a, any type of four-wheel drive vehicle and you're on a dirt road and you bump into Mexican people um, or Americans that live down there, always hospitality. I've always been met with hospitality down there. Um, and it's without a doubt, when I got home from that Baja 1000, that first race that I did, my life was changed. I was a different desert mm-hmm. biker. I was, mm-hmm. I was a different guy. Um, and I learned a lot about myself and what I could accomplish and, and how much fun our deserts are. Holy crap. I mean, our deserts are great. So totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. How's the food down there? Um, it's Mexican. The taco, the tacos are awesome. Eric's hey, always talking about the tacos. There's tacos you know everywhere. And tacos are cool and all, but I'm the guy that looks for the chicken stands. That's what I'm looking for. The the rotisserie chickens or the guys that fillet them in half and put them on the on the grill and they're they're like soaked in a mustard. Oh my god, that's the best. Honestly, the food's great. Oh, yeah, everywhere. It is. I, it really I, is. I don't have. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what. On that Baja 1000 trip, my first one. Um, I was with these guys, didn't know. One of the guys was like, he's like the governor of Baja. This guy knows everybody in every corner. And we end up in this dude's backyard. I don't know anybody. I'm just completely by myself. But th- I'm go- I got a pre-run. I've o- I had already pre-run two days, so I was getting settled in. I was going to do my third day of pre-running. And um, I knew I needed to eat like 
some steak. I wanted some carne asada or some chicken or just a bunch of meat. I want to eat a bunch of meat and vegetables. And all they're serving is oysters. Never eaten an oyster in my entire life. And I'm like, I am not eating that stuff. Oysters and crackers and beer. Everybody's drinking beer, of course. I'm not drinking because I'm riding, you know. I'm, uh, you're thinking, I'm, don't, I'm rock prepping. The, don't rock the boat on Yeah, day. I'm drinking water and Pedialyte. And I'm like, you guys suck. You're all drinking beer. So anyways, I started eating the oysters. Man, they slid down like it was candy. They were so good. They prepared them perfect. So try new stuff because you I've never, never know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm telling you, they were fantastic. And um, I don't think I've eaten them since, but man, they were good. Huh. They were fantastic. The guy's backyard, and he, he would wrap them up in foil. I don't even know what the heck he did with them, but man, he made them taste good. Wow. Some salsa with some, and then some ceviche. I don't know if anybody knows what ceviche is, yep. but mm-hmm. basically seafood, you know, soaked in lime and right, with some right. other vegetables. But it was a good seafood, and I rode great the next day. I was ready to rock. <laughs> Maybe that's a secret. There you we go. Need Maybe to have it some is. Before it rains. I don't know if you guys know some Mexicans at race, but man, they're quick down there, down in Baja. Huh. What? Um, what's? I don't know. I, I'm on the Baja kick now just because I'm intrigued, but tell us something, the craziest thing that happened to you in Baja. Anything crazy out of line, or has it all been good? No, everything. I've never had crazy out of line. I've always... you got to have a cool story, though. So, there's always a story. What's that, the funniest well, thing? My cool story is the, the first race, because yeah, yeah. I went down there with nobody. I knew nobody. You know, I, I'd never been... Down there, um, so can I was you speak in, Spanish? I speak no. I mean, I speak very little Spanish, so I can like order off a menu, um, and I can be funny about it. But I, I mean, I know a lot of cuss words. I've been a gardener for 25, 30 years, you know, so I know that kind of Spanish, but not enough to really be a fluent speaker down there. But I'm kind of a quiet guy, anyways. I, I can walk around and just stare and figure out what I need and go get what I need, kind of a deal. But. That first trip was like the epitome of of me figuring out what I wanted to do, you know. And um, Fair and I have a place down in San Felipe, just south of San Felipe. It's her home um, that she had acquired, and and uh, of course she's uh, it's it's all it's all um, part of our lifestyle now. And and you just everything down there happens great. I, I've never had, if you're talking bad issues, like I've never had a problem with a cop. I've never had any of those issues. You know, I don't, I don't go down there in a fancy $70,000 truck. Um, my, I ride dirt bikes. I'm not a trophy truck driver, you know? So they, they leave. I've never had a problem. I've been down there. I couldn't even count the number of times, hundred times. Hmm. <coughs> I've heard, I've heard a few stories of bad things or fun. Yeah. I, they're funny now, but, um, Nothing really funny's happened that I can remember. I mean, I, I suppose if I asked Ferris, she might, she might have one or two stories. But she, she did you run a something about a Camelback? Oh, oh yeah. Was that the five hundred? Yeah. Okay, so we're. <laughs> okay, now I remember. So the five hundred. <laughs> this was a rough year. Okay, this was the year that we lost two riders at the Baja five hundred because of water. Um, they, they, one of them crashed, um, got, got hurt and he was a pro. He was one of the fast guys, unlimited riders. Um, and he crashed and he laid there too long, uh, dehydrated. (coughs) By the time they got him out of there, he he passed. (coughs) Another team, um, some say they were partying a little too much the night before out in Ensenada. Some say they just didn't hydrate right, but 
he was up underneath the tree and, and just didn't make it, you know. I had actually pulled up on him, you all right? You know, my Mirandes came back to me, pulled up on him, you all right? Yeah, I'm in the shade of a tree, I'll be good, man. I take off. Guy ended up dying right there. Um, the, the people, the medics and stuff didn't get to him fast enough. But that race was really hot. Um, I had the, uh, what was it, the second leg and the fourth leg of that race. <coughs> so I'm uh, cruising. Uh, get off the bike, give it to Rhett Ogden. Uh, he does the, so the third leg, I think it was, yeah, he did the first and third, I did second and fourth. Um, he gets on the bike, I get wrapped around, uh, every, when all the mess, we're waiting, things are happening, trophy trucks catch us on this section, it was one of the, uh, 500, so they, they catch a little faster there, and, uh, man, I, Rhett comes faster than we thought he was coming, so I start getting everything on, I get all my gear on, Everything but my camel pack. And uh, hop on the bike and off I go. Now, I'm at the north part of San Felipe, which is not as hot as everything else has been. It's, it's, it's coming up in the later in the afternoon. I'm going up into the mountains, up into um, Valley, Valley de Trinidad. So it starts to cool off up in there. And uh, I didn't think about it. Didn't even put it on. Just put everything else on and, and got going because Rhett was coming quick. And... Um, Farah noticed it. Farah and my uh, Antonio, um, our youngest, noticed that it was not on my back. So they hop in the truck. They leave everything else there for the rest of the, the chase squads. And they start racing down the highway with all these other chase teams. And she's chasing. She's following behind a trophy truck team. You can tell a trophy truck team because they got these huge tires, bins, and these huge gas cans. And, and she's just following them, like playing centipede around all these people <laughs> to stop. Um and they catch up to me. And they finally catch up to me. And I'm pretty close to the road, probably 20, 30 yards off the side road. Whoop section. So it's kind of slow. You know, 30, 40 mile per hour whoops. And they, they're pointing at the back. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I don't have any water. I'm like, whatever. Well, it crosses the road. So Farron and Antonio stop traffic. <laughs> and pull me over and put my camel pack on. That's awesome. Um, button that thing up and off I go. I, I don't even think I was there two seconds. But uh, the way she tells the story is funnier, honestly, because she was in the truck with Antonio <laughs> passing all these people. I'm just, you know, ho do across the desert floor having a good time without my camel pack, of course. <laughs> or my tools, because I keep my tools on my camel pack with the water. But I think we all need Farrah to yeah. pit for us. I, yeah. I'll tell you what, <laughs> if you want the best pit crew in Mexico, Farrah Murphy, she's not cheap though, she's expensive. <laughs> uh, was awesome. it water in your camel pack? Oh she yeah, they filled up. it up. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a little Pedialyte too. I like to drink that when I'm down there. But, I know. thought you were gonna tell us that she put on an empty in no. the camo pack. No, no, she's <laughs> she is a very thorough pit crew. <laughs> she's the boss. That's not, awesome. Without a doubt. Well, Eric, since you've raced Baja, you got any Baja questions for Joe? Or I I never even been to Mexico, not even to Mexico for any reason. Yeah, um <clears throat> I'll tell a little story uh, about uh, my first time down there. So I went down, I think my first year down there in, in Baja was 2010. And uh, my buddy Dave Pearson, he was going down to race for KTM. And um, he was looking for somebody to go with him so that, you know, to pre-run with and, and drive the truck and loop around and pick him up and that kind of thing, coordination. So um, 
and it's always good to have somebody down there in your corner. I mean, that's one of the things with, with Baja that yeah, really, is important, yeah, so, I mean, right? it's super important to have a chase, chase vehicle and a chase crew. And those guys are, are priceless. But anyway, so my first trip down there, I mean, I, like I said, this is something I had dreamed about my whole life. And so I wasn't about to miss the opportunity. And, um, I actually took two weeks off work and we went down two weeks prior to the race and pre-ran for two weeks straight. And, um, so I, knowing I was going down there, I, I made sure and set up my bike and prepped it and, you know, did all the race prep and everything to get it ready. Cause I was going to be pre-running with them for, for a couple of weeks. So, um, put a four gallon tank on it. It was a 2005, uh, Honda 450 R. <clears throat> and I kind of, I had that bike kind of set up that was my race bike and um but i put a four gallon tank on it and uh it's a lot of fuel man. <laughs> we were we were down in we were stationed in bay of la and dave was going to ride from portacitos which is north of bay of la and this is for pre-run or for race he, this was his section during the race so you're just pre-running so we're pre-running the section that he's going to race right and so um so he's going to ride from Portocitos down to Bay of L.A., which is, what, 100 miles or close to it? As the crow flies, yeah. Yeah, so it might even be a little more on race. Probably 150, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so he had that 150 section down to Bay of L.A., and then from Bay of L.A., it headed south um, on the, the coast side, or the, uh, sorry, the, be the well... Yeah, it'd be the Gulf side. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, the Gulf side. Sea Cortez. Sea Cortez side. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so we let we left Bay of L.A. and headed south down to Viscaino, I think it was called. Um, about again, about 150, 170 miles south of Bay of L.A. So it was over a 300 mile section that he was going to do, and. Um, so we get all we all, we get all geared up and we head out of Bay of, Bay of LA, head south, and um, I'm I'm just thinking you know I gotta make sure I don't hold Dave up right. So I'm I'm roosting it out every corner and just trying to push to make sure I'm not holding him up. And um, we get about halfway down in that section and uh, Dave pulls me over. He says, "Hey man." He says, uh, slow down. Slow down. <laughs> yeah, he goes, hey, bud, slow down. I heard that one coming. <laughs> and, uh, and I says, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm just trying not to hold you up. He says, no, just slow down. He says, this is pre-running. We just want to see the course. And he's like, there's two rules down here. Save your gas and save your tires, right? He's like, we got two weeks to pre-run, and you're going to need your tires. You're going to need fuel. He's like, we don't know how far it is before we get to the next fuel station. Right. So he says... <coughs> He said, back it off a little bit. I said, okay, cool. That's funny. So I, so yeah, so I back it off a little and, and, uh, we get, we get down there another dang long ways and, uh, I run out of gas on a four gallon tank. Okay. <laughs> so I, I'm stopped and Dave comes rolling up and he's like, Hey man, what happened? I said, well, I ran out of gas, man. Uh, I got a, I got reserve. So I'll put it on reserve and and cruise out, you know. And he goes, 
he says, uh, I got an analogy for you. Because I grew up around horses and around, uh, you know, a ranch with my, my family and my dad and stuff. And so he says, I'm going to tell you an analogy. He says, we, we had horses and then we had mules. My dad also liked mules because he, he liked to hunt off mules because they have uh, good stamina and they're strong. And uh, anyway, so horses run out of energy a lot quicker than a mule. Anyway, Dave says, he says, hey, picture your bike as a mule or a donkey. You need nice, steady pace. He says, it's not a racehorse. It's a, it's a donkey. Right. So, so I'm... Okay, I'm riding a donkey now. <laughs> just got off the racehorse. Yeah, yeah, I'm off, I'm off the racehorse. I'm, I'm on a donkey. On a yeah, donkey. so I'm, I'm in full survival mode, okay? I'm just sur- survival. I, we got to get out of here with the little bit of fuel we got. So I go down the road. We, I mean, I'm just all I can do to just conserve fuel. And, and be a donkey. Be a donkey. And we get out, we get out of there a little ways further, and, and reserve runs out. So... We pull out a water a water bottle and Dave drain drains a little bit of gas out of his tank and puts a little bit in mine. But we're trying to check and make sure he's got enough to at least right. one bike get us out of there. So um, <clears throat> so I get a little bit of gas. We ride on a little bit further and uh, we come up on a little pueblito, a little ho- or not even a town. It was just a little house out in the middle. Of, I mean, middle of nowhere. We're still a ways from from civilization and a gas station and anyway so we bump some gas off this dude out there middle of nowhere mexico bump a little gas we get a little bit of gas that gets us enough to get back into town well just before we hit town um i get a rear flat tire (laughs) (laughs) dave's at this point (laughs) at this this point dave's got to be thinking like rethinking his his whole plan of bringing me down there. Right. I told you not to go fast. So, so yeah, I got a rear flat. We luckily were like pretty close to town. So I roll into town and I said, all right, Dave, cause we, he still had, I think like 30 miles of course to, to finish pre-running. And I said, Hey, I speak a little bit of Spanish. I'll swing down to town. I'll find a tire shop. And I'll see if I can talk somebody into fixing this thing. Dave says, all right. He says, I'll meet you at the taco stand on the corner after I pre-run my section. So he takes off. I go down. Sure enough, there's a tire shop, Yanteria, across the street. So I, I cruise over there, pull it in there. The <clears throat> young guy named Eric wears <laughs> nice. tocayos. Um, <laughs> and instantly, you know, he just jumped out. He's like, oh, yeah, man, well, we can fix this. He says, bring it in the back. So he wheels it back there, pulls the tire off, busts it out puts a puts a truck tire patch on my motorcycle tube and um boom like 10 minutes later i'm back in business i'm like man this guy's efficient you know and that's one thing for gas no no we (laughs) we had we carry money on us down there a little you know enough to get some gas and stuff and you always got to make sure you got a little bit on you because yeah, you just don't know. Stickers when. and pesos. Stickers and money. You can get just about anything you want with so stickers and pesos. That rolls into what I'm about to say. <laughs> so, so we talked about how resourceful these people are. I mean, these guys, these guys down there can fix absolutely anything. Yes. I and I'm when I say anything, I got more stories about yeah. Baja of people fixing stuff. But these guys can fix anything. So this guy fixes my tire, busts it out in a minute, and. Um, I said, all right, man, what do I owe you? He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, 
Tokayos. We got the same name. We said, no charge. I said, come on, you got to let me pay you something. You know, I mean, you just saved my day. Right. No, 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 no. He says, he wouldn't let me pay him. And so, um, now, was this all in Spanish? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everything was in, Sp- in Spanish. Luckily, I, um, I'm pretty fluent in Spanish. I served a mission in Mexico City, and so I, I uh, speak pretty fluent Spanish. And so that, <laughs> that really helps down there feel, to feel more comfortable, you know. But um, <clears throat> anyway, so he busts out the tire. I, I gave him some, some pesos anyway. You know, I, I couldn't leave without paying him. But, um, I mean, he, they really just want to help. You know, those people are amazing down there. And uh, about the time I busted that out, I roll out, and Dave's at the corner eating tacos already. <laughs> so I really don't know if he even did his 30-mile section or if he just went and hit the taco stand. But <laughs> well, he's a pretty quick guy. He's pretty quick. I'm pretty sure he, he pre-ran and yeah. went and had some awesome. tacos. But that's just one of the many stories from that two-week adventure with Dave. I got yeah. plenty more that could take up a whole show. Yeah. But um, it's anyway, it's great. The pre-runs down there. Um, it seems like every time we pre-run, there's a problem. There's there's something that goes wrong. Uh, but race day always rolls, you know. I, I've started and finished six Baja races. Uh, two 1,000s, two 500s, uh, 250, and the T1 challenge. And is that score? or It's score. Score? Yeah, that's all score. Um, and because we have all our mistakes when you were doing the pre-running you know and we've had conversations like that hey let's slow down a little bit man we're, we just got to get to the next spot so we can have a sandwich and get some water and relax and yeah it's the same thing you know pre-run you just go out there you check the stuff out take it in you know i i yep. the first time i got to go down there i i was uh i went up to this really famous church mission that's out down in the middle of the baja desert and i got to hang out and took some pictures and um, uh, just to say hello, basically, to some of the stuff that's there before I, I meandered through on the rest of the course. But, yeah, the, it's phenomenal. I, I love that. That's a great story about how, you know, he helps <laughs> you with having the same name. That's that's very cool. Yeah, and they're all helpful yep. like that. I don't care if you showed up with something funny. They'd be like, I'll figure it out, and, and they'll help you, and they'll do just about <clears> anything <throat> you need to to get a racer through. Mm. So, yeah, good people down there, great people. So, um, we could probably talk about Baja forever just because I've never been and I love yeah. hearing your guys' stories. So Well, Baja's better because of my Moran background. Agreed. Without yeah. a doubt. Agreed. Okay. I, I would not have been able to, to have the, the good times I had and understand what true camaraderie feels like and the, the hard work that goes into putting these races on. Um, what the people in front of you, behind you on the course are doing. I, I, if I had not raced Moran, Baja wouldn't have been as easy or as fun or mm-hmm. any of the, or yeah. changed my life the way it has because of the experiences I gathered out of Moran. I, I totally agree. I know I want to go. I've wanted to go for a while and not even necessarily to race, yeah. maybe even be part of the pit crew. Yeah. Just, just to be there and experience it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, we'll get well, you, remember we'll get that you the next there. time I'm going. Yeah. I, I remember, I know I, it's a little off subject, but I remodeled a bathroom for you when I was doing bathroom right. remodels. I remember doing another bathroom, and it was right during one of the Bajas, and it was for Red Ogden. Okay. And he's like, I'm in here at his house remodeling his bathroom, and they all loaded up in the truck to went to yeah. Baja. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. 
That's not fair. I'll get your bathroom done, bud. Yeah, <laughs> Rhett's raced on a few different teams. He was with, uh, he raced with Scott, Scott McIntosh's uh, team, Persevere team, and he's raced with uh, Brad and I on the on the Battleborn team. Yeah, he's one of the OGs on Battleborn. So Another good Moran dude. Yeah, Rhett. super yeah. good. And what was funny about that is he was leaving. He goes, hey, corn dog, and throws a shirt, a team shirt out at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take care of the bathroom. <laughs> That's cool. Anyways, um, like I said, we could probably talk about Baja all night just because I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um, besides Baja and Moran, have you raced any other series? Um, not really any series. I've never done any District 37 or anything like that. But um, there was a time in my 20s where uh, um, motocross was kind of cool. Uh, a couple of desert guys that I was riding with, um, they said, hey, you know, motocross is kind of cool. I went down and did some stuff at Glen Helen, uh, rode their track uh, a few times, um, got into a couple of their races, but not like a whole series kind of th- a deal. But I tried my hand at it, did some uh, Sandy Valley motocross. We had a Las Vegas motocross park for mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, so I've I've been on motocross tracks. I, I know what it looks like. But um, I, I've garnered most of my injuries off of jumps. So <laughs> I decided, you know what, uh, I'm going to stick it out in the desert. I have more of a desert mentality. I've also gotten more into more involved in putting on races. I really like that aspect of, of Moran. Um, actually scores what brought me back out of, you know, out into the racing world. I, I really wasn't racing a whole bunch. I, I was more intrigued in, you know, making sure my kids had everything they needed. Both the boys were racing and, and putting on the races, being, being involved in the permitting and all that other stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I just, Moran's great. I, I love Moran, yeah. you know. Sure. I think we've all touched on that. I mean, that's yeah. our background. Um, I always come back to it. I don't care where I go. I always come back to Moran. And that's what I said in our previous po- podcast, like that we're going to probably refer a lot to Moran because that's just what yeah. runs through our, our veins. <clears throat> yeah. Um, what, um, you might have already said this earlier, but what was your first dirt bike? I know we've talked about it when we were younger. What was your very first dirt bike? So the first dirt bike that was actually my bike was an XL185, 1982 Honda XL185. Gas tank, blinkers, headlight, oh, then things broke so fast. <laughs> yeah, they, they broke quick. So when I was, um, let's see here, a senior in high school, I lived out in the desert up by Cow Canyon Road, um, north of Las Vegas, and I went to Western High School. So I got to ride my dirt bike every morning down to Tule Springs, which was the last bus stop for Western High School, or the first bus stop, depending on what direction you were going. So I rode to Tule Springs, got on the bus, went to school, got home, rode my bike, and went back up uh, to my house. So every day I got to ride my dirt bike at least once. Um, But my first race bike was a 1989 CR250 two-stroke, and then I got into the 500s. Bought my first brand new bike. It was a 92 CR500. Um, Jay Ziegler, I think was his name. Um, guy, He was this guy in the Jackrabbits. He was a really fast uh, rider. Had a CR500. Great bike. Loved that thing. Um, I owned it for about eight months. Got all the fancy doohickeys on it. You know, ready to race and do my thing. And um, got it stolen from me. Mm. So... 
Um, gave me some humility, and I, I realized how important my dirt bike was to me because there was a little bit of a span, which is, that's, the funny thing is, is I met Mark Moraz at that point because his dirt bike had gotten stolen as well. Um, we got his bike back, couldn't quite catch up to the guy who had my bike. He kept getting passed around. Um, and then I just, I stayed on the 500s. I loved them, uh, the two strokes, until the XR650 came around. Uh, Honda's XR650 R, the the one with the the water cooled one, that the 600 was around forever, but the 650 R, I got that bike brand new, um, loved that thing. It was a heavy, heavy beast. Broke the pegs on it all the time. Couldn't start it. Those things started like really bad. But once you got them started, they would run all day long. <laughs> and then in '06, I got my first 450X, <laughs> and. That's the bike I've always chosen to ride. I love that thing. I'm I have my second one now, and I I rode my first one for thirteen years before I went. Um, I got myself a new one. Those things last forever. I love that bike. It's a yeah, great bike. bike for a big heavy guy like me, um, who mixes trail riding with course marking with score. It's a great bike for those things. You know, if I was going to be a Moran racer, I'd probably go with an R model or a KTM because they're a little lighter. Um, I like my four strokes though. So yeah, I started on a four stroke. always loved it. When I rode the two strokes, I always was like, I need to go back to my four stroke. <laughs> and then they got really good. You know, I, I'll never forget watching Doug Henry ride that, uh, YZ 400. It was 400 a 400 F. It wasn't even a 426 yet. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't yeah. even four. It was here in Las Vegas and he yep. rode the first race on that 400. It was. Don't stall those things. I was like, game changer. Four yeah. strokes are back. Well, and it was, it was one four stroke. With the four-stroke noise amongst all two strokes. Yeah, it was, it was cool. So and he cool. was in front of them all. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah, super cool. No, I, so I was, I'm really stoked. And I love my four-strokes. But I've been on um, mostly Hondas and Cowies for my career uh, of riding dirt bikes. Uh, but Yamahas, KTMs, build great bikes. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of... My first bike, though, was XL185, 1982. Nice. Awesome. Boy, that poor bike was beat up when I got rid of it. <laughs> holy crap oh, oh man well um what when you're on a bike what do you think when you're out racing what are you th what's going through joe amy's head well i um i'm not a religious guy um never really have been um but uh i always tell everybody and my mom's a little religious but if anybody that's a good question i always say i feel closest to god when i'm on my dirt bike um, that way I can't say that I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to God. I'm not talking <laughs> to myself. But, um, no, I, I, it's very spiritual to me to be in the desert on my bike. Um, it's just, it's a solemn thing that I enjoy. And what I'm thinking is whatever, you know, I got to get home and do this or, you know, thank you for the blessing of this day. I mean, I'm out in the dirt this morning. I got to get up this morning and uh, load my son and I's bike up. And we went out and met up with a friend of ours. And we got to go for a nice 30-mile scoot. Nice. Single awesome. track almost all the way around. Um, can't tell you where because, you know, BLM might get me in trouble. But <laughs> it was a good ride. We had a great ride. And it was just a single track. And there's, you know, it's been raining. It's been a good spring. So the... The, the meadow, you know, the, the, the crappy little crabgrass is growing everywhere. And all there was was one trail that was the width of our tires. And, and just, I, it was peaceful. Absolutely peaceful. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I got a question for you guys, for both of you, since you're both uh, presidents of, 
of a Moran club. Um, <clears throat> when do you think that we might get back to racing? In your just, if you have an opinion on it or not soon enough. Um, without being too political, I, I I wish this was over now. Um, I want it to be done with. I I want to. I want my freedoms back to choose to do what I want to do. Um, but you know that's the the hardest thing about Moran that people don't see. This is the stuff that happens behind the corner, the curtain. We have to ask BLM. We have to ask Forestry. We have to ask um, every entity that 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 we are in for permission to be riding somewhere. So even though we have a permit and we have rights to the land, we still have to ask people for permission to be out there. So, you know, last year, well, two years ago, gamblers were in a really unique position. We'd already gotten our permit for Crater Flats. We were ready to go. Mm-hmm. We, we did everything that we were supposed to do as a club. We signed all the papers. We did everything to ask. We raked up areas. We, we marked off areas that you can't go into. We did everything the BLM, um, the military asked us to do. And the government shut down. So because the government shut down, we can't have anybody at our race to come watch us race. Luckily for us, the gamblers and myself had good standing with the BLM. So our BLM rec planner calls me on the phone, on a private phone call, and says, Hey, I want you to know you guys are good. You can go out and do your race. We're not going to give you any problems. We'll do the post race. We'll go ride when we get back to work. Fantastic. That's great. Well, last year comes around, another government shutdown. Of course, this government shutdown happens before I get my permit in my hand. BLM won't give me the same okay, and they didn't. So we end up at Mesquite Motocross Track. On a whim, we call up the guy that owns the place, Jason, and he says, yeah, you can have my, whatever I have is yours. Do whatever you got to do. We built this eight-mile, whooped-out, sandy, beat-up motocross track. Not a desert course. Made a lot of people mad. But you know what? It's the largest race I have ever been the race director of. Had 182 riders that day. I was, I was there. there. I was yeah. There. We raced it. So, so we could do whatever we want to do. But if the government says no, there's nothing we can do about it right now. I, I Yeah. You know, they, they told us April 30th, I'm a school teacher. I can't wait. I'm chomping at the bit to get back to school. Um, I can't even go back to see my students before the end of the school year. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss out seeing those kids. And then the racing season, we've already lost two races. Um, hopefully, they'll get postponed. They'll give us some, hey, you know, we understand the situation. We'll let you race in reschedule. the fall. Yeah. We'll let you reschedule this year into the fall. That's our prediction. You're coming up right now. So, now the, the question shakers, goes to you. Which I'm the president of the Ground Shakers. You're the next one. Our race is scheduled for May 16th. Right. About a month ago, I get an email from the BLM saying, hey, we're getting into whatever, you know, what's going on in the current events. You need to think about picking another date later on in the year. All of a sudden, it's a scramble. We're having behind closed doors meetings with club officials trying to figure out a date. We have picked another date, which I won't say yet because it's not said who knows we might get the green light but at the same time if they give us a green light may 1st i've got six months worth of work to do in like a week yeah 
Right. Let alone pulling our club members that volunteer their time. A lot of them are out of work right now. It it it's going to be tough if we get the green light. It's going to be a miracle if we make it happen. Well, I'll tell you what. If you get the green light, you call me. I got a side by side. I got a dirt bike, and I can work day and night. And I can come help. I you. appreciate that. So you've got and, one guy to come help you, and I'm sure I won't be the only. And one. And we have we have our club members, you know. But if they're out of work and they can't afford, it's I'm not going to hold it against them. Correct. Uh, I'll be here. I haven't missed a day of work yet. Right. Knock on wood, or or I'm very grateful and thankful for that. Right. But I, I mean, I've been sending emails and phone calls every day. Right. I was on a phone call on the way here tonight with talking about it. We're actually going to ride the course this weekend. We're waiting on the word to get the green light. Right. Other, than, you know. We're at the whim of other people. It, yep, we are. <clears throat> and it's easier said than done. Just go get a permit. Okay. Tell me all about that after you've put your name on a permit. And, 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 and that's going to be a topic of one of our other shows Correct. in the future. What does it take to put on a race? Right. And I, we may have already hit on that tonight. I don't remember. Well, there's a lot more we can go yeah. into. But yeah. yeah. Oh, they're, 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 it's a long list. Yeah. Never ending. That's a great question, though, Eric. I like it. Yeah. It, uh, fortunately, we can uh, get over this pandemic and everybody comes out healthy and yep, I agree and being true Americans I think that we will bounce back and be stronger than we always do yeah so and that's what's built this country um well we've been talking about race and tell us about your where you came from I mean you went to school in Vegas we've got that tonight yep, born and raised tell us in about Vegas. Joe Amy uh well, <laughs> even though I've... Or is that uh, a whole other show? Yeah, that probably would be a whole other show. But, um, you know, I guess I'll keep it simple with the things I've already stated. You know, I was born and raised in Vegas. I have a love for the state of Nevada. Um, I, I like everything that Vegas has done. I wish it hadn't grown so fast from people coming from other places as much as us getting to learn who we are, get our feet under ourselves. Um, the good thing about that, though, is is that we have a lot of culture in Las Vegas, and that's grown, you know, and substantially fast. But um, myself, I, I graduated from Western High School, uh, but I bounced all over the place. I never went to the same school uh, two years in a row. I, I changed every year. Uh, kind of had a rough going there, but um, it made me who I am to kind of grow into the person I am. As a late teenager, I got a job at the Mirage, um, worked my way up there into the horticulture department, moved over to the Bellagio, tried some other things, made my way back to horticulture. Uh, I wanted to do some other positions. My manager told me the only way I'm going to let you do that is if you go to school. So I started going to college for horticulture because I liked it. It was a good job. Um, which for those of you that don't know what a horticulture is, it's basically plant management. Um, and so I started going to school while I was at the Bellagio, ended up at the city, North Las Vegas. I worked there for about six years, so I had a good government job. Um, North Las Vegas fell apart. I got laid off from them as a supervisor. Uh, so I had a degree in my hand and no occupation. I did some consulting work around my company for a little bit. Odds and end jobs, whatever people, you know, for a couple of years. And then finally I got into teaching. 
Um, and I've been teaching high school, uh, horticulture, plant science, a little bit of botany, you know, stuff like that for eight years now. Um, I taught at an adult high school for five years. It's called Desert Rose. And then I got an opportunity to go up to a school called Spring Mountain Youth Camp, which is a juvenile facility. So young men that are between the ages of 12 and 18 are at that school. Um, and I teach those kids uh, plant science. You know, those kids come in there like, I don't want to learn anything about plants. And But the minute they grow a seed, you know, a plant out of a seed, they're like, this is kind of cool. And then they get a flower, and they're like, wow. And then they get a fruit, and then they can eat the fruit, and they're like, I did all this. This is That's mine. Cool. So um, I like working with those kids. Like I said, I was kind of a rough kid when I was a, a high school kid. Um, wasn't a very nice person. Probably would argue I'm not a very nice person now. But um, <laughs> luckily I have the good few that, that believe I am. Uh, so, you know, I'm rough around the edges, but uh, I'm going to give you the truth. And, and um, I'll leave you alone if you don't want me around. It's that simple. But, That's uh, one thing I've always admired about you. You tell it how it is. And you'll let us know what you know, yeah. what you believe, and I a lot of people that. seem to like that. And I've made a lot of good friends because of that. And um, I'll give you a perfect for instance, Zach Laberry, and, and I don't have a lot of similar opinions. But man, I could sit and talk to that guy for hours. Absolutely love that he has an opinion. He's very strong about it. Um, he was a great president for Moran for twelve years. Um, uh, definitely an idol of mine. So mm -hmm. yeah. I like people's opinions. I want to hear them. Um, but I, it doesn't mean I'm going to keep it, you know. And that's how dirt biking is. You know, I could go out. I've never been a championship kind of guy. I've never been that fast guy. I'll never be that fast guy. But I'll always be consistent. I'll always be there. You're always going to see me. I'm always going to be on my bike. And I'll just be consistent always to the end. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so, Joe, with with all your years of racing and, and time spent in the desert, what's something that you have learned that you want to share with all of our listeners? Huh. Well, um, bike prep is, if, if you are fast, if you're a fast rider and you don't prep your bike, you're not fast anymore. Um, so bike prep is huge. Take care of your bike, you know, um, check the nuts and bolts, change the oil, clean your air filter, put decent tires on it, buy the right parts for it. If you don't have the right parts for it, don't go ride your bike until it breaks because then you'll never have a good bike to ride. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is, is just stay consistent. You know, stay on your bike. Keep going. If you're thirsty, pull the hose from your back and, and get a drink while you're going. Slow down a bit so you don't crash, of course, but, but don't stop and take a drink. Just keep going. You know, if you, you hit a cactus and you get some needles in you, try to get them out while you're rolling. And if you can't, then you, you wait till you get to the next stop and then you get, you get them out. Um, just keep rolling. Don't stop for anything. Don't stop. Unless you're gravely in danger, you ride like there's a bear chasing you. That's just all there is to it. You know, you, the bear ain't running very fast, but if he catches you, you're going to get chewed apart. Just keep going. Or if you see a downrider, I, my, my belief is stop, make sure they're okay. Absolutely. I mean, well, that's, you know, right. I mean, I'm going to stop that's for that, of course. Yeah. I'm going to ask, you know, and, and honestly, sometimes I come back to that Baja story and that, that Baja 500 when I stopped for that guy and said, hey, you all right? And he said, yeah, I'm good. Keep going. You know, should I? Should I have gotten off my bike and said, you, 
why are you here? I, I've had that. You know what? Are you, thing. I'm just tired. You know, and I'm like, okay, I'll just keep going. You know, he said he's good because if I said I'm good, I don't want somebody harassing me. Are you sure? Are you sure? Right. I yeah. Want you, to go. Yeah. Go. You, go. Do your thing. My bike is broke, or I can't move. Go. Go race your race. You know. Right. Yeah. You did the so, right thing. You can't put that on yourself, but but yeah, definitely downrider stop. Check yeah. on them. Yeah, I agree. Sure. I, I, but no, you, good point, man. Yeah, um, consistency is the key. Consistency and, and, and bike take care of your bike, man. If you don't, I don't care how fast. I don't care if you're David Pearson, Danny Hamill, fast. You know, if your bike doesn't work, you're not yeah. going anywhere. Yeah, it could be a could be a ten cent screw. Yeah, or it could be your spokes. That, I didn't yeah. tighten my spokes and it popped my tire. Yep. My <laughs> wheel fell off, and I'm twenty miles into a hundred mile race. Game over. Game over. Yep. Well. Anything else, Dave? Um, give us five things on your bucket list. You know, my bucket list has shrunk. Because you've been checking them off? Because I've checked a lot off. And Baja... So so the, the first was, I want to race a Baja race. Okay? And then that was off. And then my buddy's like, you think, I think we should just go race a full season to score. And then I'm like, all right, cool, let's do it, you know? Yeah. So we did it. And we, we finished all four races and we, we ended up getting third place, you know, in, in the sportsman class, which. All right, hey, we're back. Um, we had an unexpected little break there. Um, anyways, we're learning this whole podcast thing as we go. So, welcome back, uh, Joe. Before we wrap this thing up, I would like to, uh, I guess, ask you: um, You got anything left on your bucket list? Um, not much, honestly. Not on a bike, anyways. Uh, I would like to. We're trying to do some plans for Antonio and I and Brad to race Baja. So racing with my child in the Baja would be fantastic. I would like to put a full season in, but if it doesn't work out due to circumstances, at least maybe, you know, a 500 and a 1,000 or something. I'm sure I'll get a chance to in the future, but um, he's getting faster and I'm getting slower. So I'm not quite sure if uh, we would fit on the same team, but definitely uh, one of the things on my bucket list. Um, Farah has done some riding. I would love to see her back on a dirt bike. Um, and not so much to go racing, you know, but just to just to do some traveling down the Baja. I wanna I wanna go from top to bottom, and, and back up to the top, just to just to do it, just to be around and see the cool stuff that's out there. Um, I guess the last thing I put on that list is uh, probably some type of um, adventure bike and, and ride around Europe. You know, I'd like to see the countryside out there, uh, just because I've never been to Europe and I've had a few friends that have been out there. I've done some travels on a Harley. Uh, my father and I ride Harleys, uh, and we've done some traveling around the Western United States over to Sturgis and, uh, nice. did some Southern States, but I'd like to do it on an adventure bike in Europe. That would be really cool to me. Uh, as far as motorcycles go, that's about it for my bucket list. Uh, I'm, I'm a very fortunate, blessed individual in the aspects of getting to do the things I wanted to do, you know, um, in the, the last seven or eight years that I've, I've been with Farah, she's always made sure that I got to be on my bike when I needed to be on it. You know, if I seemed frustrated or uncomfortable, it's like, hey, you riding soon? 
You know, is your bike ready to go? Do you have all the gear you need? That kind of stuff was always, it always became very important. She's like, you know, you always took care of the boys. Take care of yourself. You know, hey, we bought you a, a new set of boots. Or, hey, we're going to, we got you a helmet. And a couple Christmases ago when I bought my, the new bike I have now, the, I mean, her and and the kids, uh, all, all four of our kids, or the three of our kids, um, and her mom, everybody put money in a big till and said, here, go, you know, put a deposit on a brand new That's bike awesome. for yourself. That is awesome. And, and so it's always been a priority to her to make sure I've been on my dirt bike, um, which can't go without enough thanks. So um, thank you, Farah. I love you very much. Uh, but that's it. You know, I, I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at on a dirt bike right now. F what, 35, 40 years, uh, mm -hmm. 35 years later, I've been, you know, been riding. 12, 13 is about when I got on my first bike. Right. And I've been riding consistently since. So, very lucky. Very cool. Awesome. Well, um, I just want to say, and I'm sure Eric agrees, we appreciate you being here. It's great show. Great show. If anybody out there has any comments or anything on today's show, um, send us an email. What we could do better, if we can. Uh, yeah. Eric, you got anything? Yeah, just uh, Joe, Amy, everybody. Appreciate you coming on, man. I, uh, I appreciate being here. And it was a good time. I felt uh, very fortunate that I was asked to be on the show, so thank you very much. I'm excited for this podcast. And you guys know that it's on Facebook. So yeah. if you heard something I said, you want to put something on top of it, ask a question about it, please do it on Facebook. Uh, that way they can get the hits there. I can answer the questions. More than happy, I'll be checking it. Um, uh, we are friends on Facebook uh -huh. uh, in a couple different ways. So, yeah, and even an email or a phone call, whatever. Whatever I can do to help anybody out there who wants to be a dirt bike rider, Man, I'm, I'm there for you. I'll help you out. That's fantastic. With that being said... Thanks for having me on. Thanks for doing this podcast, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. thank you. All right. Well, we're going to take another little break, uh, gather up uh, some information. Uh, we're going to come back for closing and relieve or re relay who our next guest is going to be. Stay tuned. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you. Hi guys, we're back. We um, just got done with Joe Amy. What a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, episode yeah. so far. Great interview. Anyways, thanks again, Joe Amy. Uh, can't wait to uh, publish this and get some feedback. Anyway, on to our guest for episode four. This guy is phenomenal for one. Two, very deep roots in Moran. He's a firefighter in Las Vegas. He was a factory support dirt bike rider. And in 2005, this person won a stage at the Dakar Rally on a motorcycle. Wow. Listen to this voicemail he sent us, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Hey, this is Kellen Waltz. Looking forward to sitting down with Corndog and Eric next week uh, for their show. Should be a good time. I'm sure lots of good stories to be told. So you better tune in. It's going to be fun. See you then. Bye. Woohoo! Did you hear that? Kellen Walsh. 
You heard it right. He'll be here joining us for episode four. Um, yeah, can't wait to hear Kellen's story and uh, talk to him. Yeah, so email us any questions. Uh, if you have a question for Kellen, email him to us at um, thedesertdirtbiker at gmail.com. Yeah, hope everyone has a safe weekend. Uh, hopefully you can get out, get a little seat time. I know we're going to be riding this weekend, uh, putting in some time on the Ground Shakers course. Dave, uh, Corndog, can you tell us a little bit about the Ground Shakers race? Who's Dave? <laughs> right? Um, anyways, our Ground Shakers race. I don't know if it's going to happen. We are scheduled for May 16th in Callian, Nevada. That is on the Moran schedule. Uh, with what's going on in our world today, who knows? We're waiting for a green light. We have been working on it every day, phone calls, emails. Uh, anyways, we are going to ride our course this weekend, make sure it's all dialed in. I'm working with uh, the BLM, Lincoln County, the city of Caliani, private property owners, our club members for one. We um, kind of got our fingers crossed. We do have a date picked later in the year if we cannot do it in May. Um, not too crazy about doing it later on in the year. But whatever we do, whatever happens, hopefully we can at least have an event this year. It is the Ground Shakers 55th anniversary we became a club in 1965, founded by the late Casey Folks. What an honor to be following in his footsteps and leading leading the, the club. Uh, it is also our fourth annual Casey Folks 100 in honor of Casey Folks. So wish us luck. Uh, time will tell. Hopefully we, we hear soon. We may... Make a decision after this weekend, riding the course, seeing if we hear anything by Friday via email or phone calls. Uh, yeah, stay tuned. Hopefully, you guys can uh, make it out to our race. But uh, that's it for tonight. We're going to go ahead and close and looking forward to episode four. Yeah, Kellen Walsh. And again, thanks, Joe Amy, for our first guest on this whole new podcast, The Desert Dirt Biker. What a show. Hope you guys enjoy. I know it's a little bit long, but man, uh, next week, <laughs> I'm excited. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this week's too. So on that note, I want to say thanks, Eric, and uh, we'll talk to you and be back here soon. Thank you.